My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 18th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering May 1978, Prague 63 through 66. This week, we'll finish Mach 1, start Mach 0, and get even deeper into the cursed Earth. How's it going this week, Fox? Uh, pretty good. I mean, it's just the question that's on everybody's mind. Uh, who is Cousin George? Because I don't have a Cousin George, but there's a Cousin George. You have a Cousin George, and he's basically evil, evil Knievel, buddy. That's how it goes. <laughs> they took the evil part of Evil Knievel and really tried to make that work. <laughs> it's true. Without yeah, calling him that? Yeah, I don't... I, it, like, took me a... Like, it's just the jumpsuit that's making me think that he's Evil Knievel, you know? Really, the whole thing. He the does, whole, yeah, go ahead. Oh, he does have the whole stars and stripes thing going on, even though he's more Union Jack, you know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, no, the whole thing is a nightmare. And speaking of nightmares, <laughs> thrill one, Dan Dare. Oh God. Yeah. So uh, Dan Dare this week. Scripts are by Jack Adrian and Gary Finley Day. Arts by Brian Lewis and Dave Gibbons. And we start off still on the nightmare planet. Yep. There's, monsters and flashing lights and everybody loses it and goes crazy except for dan dare himself of course because <laughs> he's so amazing yeah he meets with the floating light beings that live on this planet they're all pure energy and so they create illusions to make people leave them alone but dan dare sees through them because of his iron will they're totally impressed by him they're like oh man you're pretty good not yeah. getting totally tricked by us. And because he's such a cool dude, they teleport him and all of his crewmen back to their ship, and they rewind time to when the mysterious space monsters attack their ships. But this time they just use, they just make them look like asteroids instead of space monsters, so that instead of investigating, like, what's the deal with these space monsters, instead, the crew just continues on its way to other planets. Which, you know, for being super intelligent light beings that can make anything happen and exist outside of time and space, when be left alone, think like asteroids would be the first thing you'd go for. Well, like, I feel like there's some more, maybe more superstitious uh, space dudes that would be like, oh, monsters, we don't want to go in there. But they aren't, hecka, intrepid the way that um, Dan Dare and his crew are. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and the parallels for the Odyssey really start showing up, you know? Mm, I could see it. With the sirens and whatever? Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go on to the next one. Uh, this is the start of a big adventure on the Ice Planet. Uh, the star forts around in orbit around a planet made up entirely of ice. They, it just sort of seems that way until suddenly they get a life reading and Dan, and Dan goes down to the planet to investigate. He but we're leaving out the most important part is that they had a close-up on an ice cream cone first. Well, yeah, I was going to say, the people he brings with him are pilot, who, a uh, the pilot for the ship, a radio guy, some riflemen, a pepper team, which I think is like a heavy machine gun, and mm -hmm. crewman wise, a newly introduced smart-ass member of the Space Fort crew. It's really weird. His role in this adventure is to make snow and ice puns, basically. 
Yeah, and to, well, I guess it's next prog, but totally use his powers to be terribly boring at jokes. He's he's real big with these puns, I'll say that much. Yeah. So everybody lands in, like, powered assault suits, but the surface is unsteady, and the radio guy immediately falls to his death in a crevasse. <laughs> Soon afterwards, a forest of ice spikes starts flying at the team, uh, it impales at least one rifleman right in the face. This planet is out for blood. Yeah, it's killing everybody. Like, it just starts, you know, they land with a whole bunch of red shirts. Like, at least, like, four or five red shirts. And they just start yeah. getting peeled away real fast, you know? Well, yeah, they lo- yeah, you're right. They lose their radio guy, who was the only person who could break through the superstorm that's above them. And then their rifleman gets fucking skewered with a goddamn ice pick. And then the two yeah. people that they have that are there with a like awesome Gatling gun that are shooting down all of the ice spikes. Yeah, they fall through a, uh, a hole in the ground, and only Dan Dare and Pilot are, are still alive. Oh, except for Wise also, and he's got puns. God. And, like, people have just died. Yeah, he's super lighthearted for several of his buddies just perishing in a frozen wasteland. That's very strange. The whole fucking... Yeah. Yeah. So they they go on a big ice flow, and then suddenly they find a big ice pyramid. They go inside, and they hear a huge booming voice. Uh, yep. And like uh, real talk, everybody inside this pyramid, there's a giant fucking space squid <laughs> <laughs> that like exists in the vacuum of space and is slowly it's, dying. It's got one big eye. It uh, says it's a uh, it's a Cigna which is a crazy powerful space squid monster kind of thing. Yep. It's a tra- it's it was it's it's been trapped in the ice and is about to die and when it dies it'll get off a big off a big explosion and basically it's just been all alone and didn't want to die alone and now that our guys have shown up it's ready to kill itself. So in a super selfish way it was like I just wanted some people around when I died to, you know just so I, like, when I die I wasn't all by myself. I want to die but like I also want to kill so you see my problem. but <laughs> <laughs> He's been locked inside this stupid space pyramid where he can't kill anybody. Yeah. So Dan, so Dare's like, hey, you know, we could actually probably climb this pyramid that you've created around yourself and use it to get a signal to get picked up by the ship and save you. So how about we do that? And the squid's like, no, I'll just kill. I don't want to be saved. I'll just kill myself. So you guys have to stay here and watch me die. So they, they end up negotiating with him and like, okay, listen, you stay here and kill yourself if we fail. And we'll leave Wise behind to tell you jokes, but then we're going to try to save you. And we're like, all right, but you don't come back soon and I'll just kill myself. Right. Very, it's, like- it's very ridiculous. It's really bizarre par for the course. Yeah. Now, Dan Dare. So Dan and Pilot climb to the top of the ice pyramid. They manage to radio the, the, uh, the space fort, which fires its phasers into the pyramid, which rejuvenate the Cigna and allows it to escape. And it flies mm. off into space. And it looks like Wise is dead, but as soon as Pilot says, oh, I'm going to miss all his jokes and stuff, Wise is still alive to drop some super sweet ice puns. He's like, ah, you like my jokes, now I'm going to tell you more jokes. And he's like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said I liked his jokes. Yeah, next episode on Dan Dare, the Garden of Eden. And things get more weird, if you can believe it. It's worm dudes and pilgrims. (laughs) Oh, God, that's right. 
Oh. Yeah. Gonna die terrible worm-based deaths. And hey. So. Sp- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Worm-based deaths. <laughs> yeah. There's I don't want to. Let's not spoil everybody, though. What do you got? <laughs> oh, I got nothing. I was oh. just gonna say it's like it, like Dandir's turned into so weird of a comic book now. There's some weird stuff going on in these Dandairs. That's definitely the case. God, it, I just. Oh, please go ahead. But hey, speaking of uh, of uh, heroic deaths, thrill two, Mach one. Oh gosh. So all Mach one is uh, written by Pat Mills and arts done by Montero this this month. So last time where we left Mach one, he had made friends with this um, alien guy named Fred, who's basically a gray alien. He's currently dying of the common cold here on Earth. And in every shot that he's drawn in just feels like everything else was drawn around him first and then he was placed into the shot. Yeah, which weirdly, I don't. I wonder if they uh, they had one version of him and they wanted to redo him to make him look more like a Close Encounters of the of the Third Kind alien, or something. Or if they did that, if that was intentionally like the way it was supposed to look, or something like that. It, he, he definitely looks very out of place in comparison to the rest of the char- of like how the rest of the prog is drawn. Yeah, it really does. It's so bizarre looking. But so they're doing a bunch of tests on Fred and John Probe Mach One objects to those tests sharp finally agrees to let um fred be taken back to his home planet by his alien buddies but as we know by now yeah probe's not to be trusted or uh, sorry sharp is not to be trusted probe gets knocked out and locked in a bank vault which he quickly frees himself from meanwhile sharp is planning to attack the aliens when they arrive to pick up fred and then steal their technology this seems like a terrible plan (laughs) die like, we've seen these aliens, assuming they're the same ones that destroyed that town earlier, they're super powerful. Yeah, this is not in, This is not Sharp's first foray with aliens, and he already knows that they're down on superpower, so he's just going to, like, light them up? Yep, that's basically what the job is, I guess. I guess. But so next up, it's the, uh, it's the super-sized finale of Mach 1. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really cool story, actually. So, like... Probe fights his way onto the army base. He frees Fred and then leads Fred to be safely picked up by his alien buddies. Like, in the process, though, Probe starts taking a lot of damage. He starts getting, like, he's shot and is injured. Uh, There's a crossfire and Sharp is killed, taking all knowledge of Probe's history with him. Yeah. And the whole thing's super tense because as Probe takes more and more damage, his computer like tells him that he's like losing hyperpower, like you know, hyperpower reduced by thirty percent and so on. And you're still kind of imagining in this situation, right? Like we've already had a bunch of lead in about how he's getting hyperpower treatments, but he's basically like he's losing efficiency and losing yeah. edge because he's being kind of strung along with just barely enough. And we've right. seen him get a, like the ass kicked out of him before. Now a couple of bullets are stopping him, but he's still able to kind of like shimmy along and take like these massive beatings by these people yeah. while like tossing this dude into a tractor beam. Right. Um, you know, so Fred, uh, it culminates with Fred using his psychic powers to create a super murder dog. And then being lifted up in the uh, in the space in the lead UFOs like track you know light tractor beam kind of thing with his murder dog, which yeah. is great. A sharpshooter tries to snipe Fred as he's being lifted up. 
but Probe throws himself in front of the bullet, saving Fred, but dying in the process. We finish the story with a government review board that's been sort of reviewing this case the whole time. And they say that Sharp had overstepped his bounds and Mach 1 acted correctly. So in death, he's a hero. And they sort of just close the close the file on him, basically. Yeah, and that's the end of Mach 1. He died yeah. in the line of duty, saving yeah. the planet, really. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you know? a good end to a, a fairly like strange comic. Yeah, Mach 1's definitely had its ups and downs, but I think on the whole it's been pretty fun. I think so, too. Yeah, Mach 1 will, or John Probe as Mach 1 will show up a couple more times, sort of in, like, annuals and specials and things. Mm -hmm. But this is basically it um, for him in the main progs. Oh, wow. Well, uh, I mean, like, uh, looking back, you know, he did, like, pick up a tree and hit a bunch of dogs with it. You know, he beat a bunch of people to death with a frozen corpse. There are a couple he, times where he beat people with a motorcycle as well, which is pretty sweet. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, he used a, a giant chain to whip uh, zombie children around. Yes, that's the ultimate. Oh, didn't he throw, like, that weird racist sultan into a vat of gold? Yes, threw a sultan into a vat of gold. He jumped on top of a cruise missile and reprogrammed it to fly him to safety as he rode it. Oh, he, man, he... Oh, he go grabbed ahead. another cruise missile and used its exhaust <laughs> to burn a bunch of dudes alive in the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was and, so awesome. <laughs> and just generally some good stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I, he jumped off of a, a, a temple that started flying into the air that turned out that it, it wasn't actually a Mayan temple. It was a spaceship. And he mm-hmm. jumped off it from, like, in the atmosphere and landed yeah. on the ground. Fine. Yeah. Yeah, and he killed at least one yeti so you know that yeah actually definitely he's killed some mythical beasts yeah so pretty good time from john from from pro pretty good time from mach one you know like i i mean i always say like it's been a terribly racist thing but i mean all of those were good times man it's had its lows but i'm trying to remember the good times you know what i mean (laughs) well how else can you really appreciate it when it doesn't get bad once in a while right indeed yes so now oh good good Oh, I said we have Walter the Robot and Judge Dredd, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so now uh, Mach 1's place in the in Progs will be taken over by Thrill 3, Mach 0. Woo! Mach 0! Yeah, script for Mach 0 is done by Steve McManus, art by Roman Sola and Mike Dory. Fuck yeah, Roman Sola! <laughs> so Mach 0 lives, guys! He kind of and shows he's pretty up. Pretty awesome. He shows up in the Thames. He's basically the Hulk. Like he's a very Hulky kind of character. Like the mm. Hulk that doesn't change back to Bruce Banner. He's just Hulk all the time. <laughs> so meanwhile, as like Zero's sort of swimming around the Thames, being like, oh, "I'm alive on Mock Zero," um, <laughs> and an American stuntman named Cousin George parachutes into Trafalgar Square. And he says he's arrived at England to do a, uh, a stuntman tour, I guess. And everyone's, it, like, freaking out. Everybody loves Cousin George, apparently. <laughs> but so he does one of those things where, like, an escape artist trick where he gets locked in a in a box and then thrown in the river, and then he's supposed to free himself. Mm-hmm. But instead, when he does, Mach Zero shows up and uh, grabs the box and throws it on the shore and then rips it open and frees Cousin George himself, showing him <laughs> up. And no one oh, shows snap. up, Cousin George. 
So now it's vendetta between these two guys. I mean, it's vendetta with one of them against the other one. Okay, yeah, that's true. It's a one-sided vendetta with J- Cousin George trying to get revenge on Mox Zero, whereas Mox Zero just kind of walks off. Yep, he's just like, I'm going to go do some Mox Zero things somewhere else. Yeah, which as we see in the next proc, where Zero's sort of on the loose and he's just kind of hanging out with some homeless dudes. <laughs> meanwhile, just Cousin, awesome. Yeah, meanwhile, Cousin George puts on his leopard skin suit and prepares to hunt down Zero. Jeez. Um a bunch of bikers like rush through the homeless encampment and Zero deploys a fake version or George deploys a fake version of Zero's son Tommy to catch Zero in a ridiculous net. So now Zero's ah. trapped. I like a good net move, I gotta say. Uh, and also like Mike Dory who did a lot of like pitch, I'm one of the main artists for Invasion. Right, like I've mm-hmm. I've always really liked his style because instead of using a lot of white space, he uses a lot of black, like a lot of dark areas. Yeah, like the shade. nighttime stuff that we see from Max Zero here is really dark and really like, mm-hmm. and it's it, very interesting in, in comparison to the rest of the comic for sure. Looney really thinks about like the homeless. Like, there's the guy without legs who's on the skateboard. Like, he does not make these people look like they're well put together. Yeah, well, I mean, this like I'll sort of spoil everybody a little bit for next episode, but this story goes st- full like Oliver Twist or something like that. It's like a big yeah. council of homeless people and everybody. It was awesome having like crazy homeless superpowers and stuff. Like, I don't know. It was so cool. I mean, like, he did beat the crap out of like a bunch of like thugs that were gonna beat these guys up. Yeah, well, I don't want to get into it into next prog stuff. Or in, into next episode stuff this episode. But it's mm. an interesting thing to keep an eye out for. And, like, I don't know. I'm calling them homeless, but, like, that feels like too modern a term for the kind of homeless that these guys are. Like, uh, like they feel like they should be called, like, tramps or something like that. I don't know. Oh, I mean, I mean they're the Vagabond Collective, right? Yeah, something. <laughs> but it's think, cool. I'm looking forward to Zero, for sure. It's really awesome. I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. But so, okay. But for every up, there must be a down as we go to non-thrill material. Hooray! Uh, I we read go the, most oh, of these this time. Yeah, that actually goes really quick uh, for some reason. Like, for a long time, they were having multiple pages of letter columns and stuff, and now they've sort of yeah. cut it down a little bit to just being the first page. So now the first page has to have, like, the editorial and the preview section and the letters and maybe an art thing, and at least one commercial for stamps. So there's just not a lot of space for any one thing. You know what I mean? They've still got that sweet, sweet stamp real estate. Always. So in Prog 63, Tharg teases the ice story planet, the ice planet story for Dan Dare that we talked about. Yep. A writer suggests a comedy judge called Judge Dreary. And a, what, another letter suggests that the robots that make 2000 AD unionize. Which, hey, come on, buddy. Keep your politics out of my comic book, okay? Hey, I'm in favor of it, but a union forever. The international <laughs> ideal unites the robot race. Wow. Uh, also, this issue, we start seeing commercials for Star-Lord, the yep. first 2000 AD spinoff comic. I like him. Or maybe not spinoff, but like it's another one. It's another sci-fi comic made by Fleetway, basically. But Looks like a badass. It looks pretty cool. Uh, Star-Lord's got a pretty sweet pompadour and stuff. Like, I guess there's, like, a military guy called Star-Lord who 
fills the Tharg role in the in the Star Lord comic. Right. But that whole thing that that comic's going to fold in a couple months, but we're going to get some really awesome characters out of it in the main progs. In prog 64, the letter page is mostly just people calling in like with their alien and, and UFO encounters. And yeah, this was a little this was a little weird, especially the Chariot of the Gods thing. Yeah, some guy suggests the book Chariot of the Gods, which is basically the the basis of all ancient alien theories. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's because like Close Encounters of the Third Kind just came out in England or something like that. That's what it the timeline seems to be for me. They sort of reprise that encounter scale in the opening of the comic, and they have like an actual like photo from the movie in the in the uh, letters page. Mm-hmm. I just want to call out from people's alien experiences that one kid, or basically, the the highlight is all these people and the towns they come from in England. <laughs> um, yeah, one kid is from this town called Shotton Colliery, which, if I was from there, then I would just sing that "I Want to Be a Baller" or "Be Shot Collar" um, song constantly. <laughs> I feel like this song is about my town. <laughs> so great. <laughs> um. In Prague 65, Judge Dredd writes into the magazine and lets Thark know he'll le- he'll never leave 2000 AD, which is a promise that has been kept. And well, like, the whole thing was, like, uh, it was, like, this running joke where it was, like, in the April 1st issue, like, oh, we're taking him out. And then yeah. apparently a bunch of people wrote in, like, fuck you, no, you aren't. And Thark was like, dude, it was a thing. And then I Judge said April Dredd. Fool's when I said that, you guys. Like, let's yeah. stop taking seriously. I don't know. But we still see, um, in like Prague 66, people read in letters about some previous anti-dread letter. Um, and then there's another letter, which I think is kind of a fun one, that calls out like both Judge Dredd and Dan Dare for being overly trigger-happy. Yeah. And which... like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I guess I agree that like Dan Dare is, doesn't try to be a diplomat. He just kind of tries to blow things up and kill people. But, you know, you don't have to be a whiner about it, Adrian Gregory of Flaxton, Yorks, in 1978. Look, yeah, exactly, number one. And number two, like, I'm cool with them. Like, if they had a Picard-esque comic going on in here, that'd be kind of a neat round out, but it wouldn't be very thrilling, right? Like, Mm -hmm. this is supposed to be sci-fi thrills. This is supposed to be, you know, something set in this fiction universe that Mm -hmm. is entertaining. And Dan Dare solves his problems by shooting a lot of things. Yeah, and it seems like it'd be hard to have conflict resolution through talking to people be fit in, like, six pages of uh, an issue, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, speaking of solving your problems by shooting them... Thrill 4, Judge Dread. And things start getting really awesome. Yeah, all of uh, Judge Dredd this month is written by Pat Mills with art by Mike McMahon and Brian Boland. So, man, the cursed earth, we're getting going. It's so good. Yeah, man, we cold open on sort of a town in the cursed earth where a lawgiver sentences a family to death for stealing food. Dredd and Spike Har- Spike's Harvey Rotten sort of come across the town on a recon bike trip, and Dredd stops the execution. But he's also taken into custody by the townsfolk and imprisoned to watch them die. They're sentenced to death by being eaten by hungry rats, carried on the winds of powerful atomic war storm. Storms. One bite means death. 
and the roofs of all this town have spikes that are supposed to be there to kill the rats when they come flying through. It's flying death rats. <laughs> it's so bizarre and crazy. It's really ridiculous. So, I like, love it. We cut basically to a giant flying rat swarm with Dread locked in a cell. And then finally Spike's Harvey Rotten shows up. He frees Dread and they free the town folk. And the pair of them turn on the sirens on their bikes and lead the flying rat swarm out of town. But not before they basically (laughs) devour the lawgiver. Which was awesome. It's super awesome. It's all awesome. The swarms. It's it's really graphic. Yeah, man. They definitely show this guy getting eaten alive. Uh, the pair turn on their uh, so they lead the, the swarm through a giant lava river, and most of the swarm is killed in the fires. Though Dread has to go fa- has a face to face showdown with the evil King Rat, <laughs> who Dread kills with his bare hands, Just squeezes it to death. Yeah, they advise the town folks to build sirens outside of town to draw off the rat swarms, and we head off. But before we do, we learned that Spikes spent the time while Dredd was being imprisoned by the townsfolks to, like, scout around the town and find some random stuff, including a uh, sweet Colt six-shooter and some old-school, like, uh, World War II-era hand grenades. And now he's wearing one of the old hand grenades like an earring. Which is really, like, oh, God. It's really big on his head in terms of, like, earring things. I don't know how it works. Big as his jaw. (laughs) So in the second half of the progs, it looks like our guys have somehow found their way to North Dakota because they go to they ride to Mount Rushmore, which has some extra heads, Fox. Yep. It's got uh, Jimmy Carter has one head on one side, God. like to, to the left of Washington, and then to the right of Lincoln, it's some random mutant wo- warlord named Morgar. Which, like, impressive that they molded that into the thing. Yeah, totally. So the war, so scouts from the warlord sort of see the see the killdozer and stuff, and the warlord orders that they be that they be brought down, and the chase is on. <laughs> uh, some rocks cause the land raider and the killdozer parts to separate. Well, it's like and, a bladed ship, right? Yeah. Well, there's yeah. So. Uh, in the Killdozer, Dread and Spikes, they take down this atomic rock carving device that the mutants have, <laughs> which is apparently how they carved Morgar's face in the mountain, which right. basically is this murder yo-yo that sends out this like spinning <laughs> disc that can't be stopped. <laughs> so <laughs> they capture it, and in the process of capturing it, they knock out all of the statue of Jimmy Carter's teeth. It's amazing. And um, then Dread and Spikes threaten to destroy, um, sort of come across the warlord who's, t- or M- Morgar the warlord who's taken control of the land raider, like the second half of their vehicles that has like the cure for Mega City 2 and all the other judges and stuff like that in it. And they basically say, uh, let them go or we will destroy your face on Mount Rushmore. And he agrees to let them go. Yep. So finally, Dread is on the run from Morgar. And we see a random cursed earth dude kind of like building some metal trees and stuff. Oh, this one's so cool. He's a mutant. So Dredd and co. arrive at this homestead. They prepare to fight off Morgar. But it turns out the mutant guy actually has a, has a powerful psychic. Are all and, mutants, uh, like, are they all shown as, like, having white eyes? No, um, I think it varies. Like, they have a lot of, like, there's a lot of variance as to what is and it isn't a mutant and what their powers entail and stuff. Okay. 
but Sorry this guy's a powerful psychic and he uses all the shards of metal and stuff around his settlement to take down all of Morgar's army and it's a new day on the cursed earth. Damn. Yeah, he just... So, yeah, this last one was awesome. This is what got me super excited for Cursed Earth. Yeah, man. It was it's just, just this prophetic, psychic super guy who's just like, yeah, I'm not coming with you. I gotta be here, but uh, you're gonna fucking save a lot of people, man. There's a lot of different chapters in this cur- in like the Cursed Earth saga. Like the whole thing is like 25 episodes or 25 Jesus. progs, but it's 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 a lot like what we're seeing now, where it's more like sort of like the whole thing's 25, but then it's sort of split up into sort of different episodes, different sort of two or three prog episodes, basically. Mm-hmm. Damn. As we'll see next time when the vampires show up on the cursed earth. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so bizarre yeah but it's fun i mean i don't know like this saga is a really cool like sort of seeing the world there's gonna be a lot of there's a lot of stuff established in this in this storyline that's gonna echo through judge dread as time goes by well they they even do a callback like so in the mount rushmore fight thing right so they're they're two cars it's like the super tank that connects together so the first part is more like this kind of elongated uh truck and the back end looks more like this bulldozer, just these giant yeah. treads. And the yeah, that's the, uh, yeah, the Land Raider and the Killdozer. Yeah, so the Killdozer, it's like, oh, it can go over any terrain. Like, 100%, doesn't matter what, it can go over it. And so yeah. they drive up the nose of the of uh, Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that was just like, they said this how many pages ago when they describe this and of course the kids gonna be like oh yeah it can go up anything of course it, it could just like drive up the face like just yeah. feels like such a like i don't know they they know their audience they know yeah. how to make it no, cool it's very cool so especially I, because apparent it's very cool especially because hot wheels is apparently coming out with like vehicle with uh with with cars for these vehicles oh so great which i think I we'll see them. see as the story goes on i want them <laughs> we'll check it out man there's all this memorabilia out there to be had, it feels like. Killdozer Hot Wheels. But so, hey, speaking of cursed earths, let's move on to Thrill 5 Death Planet. With uh, the script by Alan Hebden and art by Lopez. Oh, so we, yeah. So we start off with a crazy monster stampede. Oh, no. Yeah, Richard Corey fights them off and saves Lorna Varn. The survivors of the crash, bear, of the uh, of the space crash, uh, bury their dead and start walking to find food, water, shelter, etc. Uh, tons of people die of thirst on the way. Apparently, <laughs> when Lorna collapses, Richard Corey, the uh, jerk head of the settlement guys, and a crew member from the ship named Mike Herschel go on as a duo scouting. They find water, but when they drink it, oh no, it's poisoned! We're all gonna die. Oh, Glorg, these these adorable Pikachus led us to poison water. <laughs> They're murderers, man. But it actually <laughs> turns out that there's cure for the poison in these grape-like fruits hanging over the water. Hooray, we aren't dying right away. No, oh, it turns out everything's fine yeah. immediately when we start the comic. <laughs> the rest of the crew arrives and is refreshed by the water. Uh, there's a bunch of like sort of random animals walking around this watering hole as well, and Corey just sort of uh, finds a fairly tame one and just straight up murders it, <laughs> so that everyone can eat meat that night. Yep. 
As they do, though, they're attacked by a bunch of big other monsters that try to that steal all their food. And so it's time to... Oh, sorry. I just want to say, as they're attacked by the monsters, a lady shouts, like, Where's my Gina? Like her daughter or kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this seems to happen every time there's some sort of crisis <laughs> in this comic. There's always at least one parent asking where their kid is. And um, one father having great really great things to say like she'll be fine now get the fuck like we gotta go <laughs> yeah there's it's, many of their concerns are immediate are immediately uh dismissed which is pretty awesome <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like we need more defenses around our settlement <clears throat> so all the colonists build a huge moat around the area they're in well i mean first it's a huge trench and then they break ground to let the water in, which Corey does naturally, but he gets swept away by the current. And I guess that Richard Corey guy's dead. Oh, well. Yep. Oh, no. Oh, oh wait. It turns out that then that Mike Herschel guy jumps in after him. Hooray. Lorna Varn has never felt so helpless, which is true, it feels like. like yeah. This story could easily just be about Mike Herschel and Richard Corey, and Lorna couldn't be in, not, not, not be in it at all, but I don't know. I don't know how much of that is the character and how much of that is the writing. There's a lot going on. <laughs> but There's so, a lot going on. But so Mike saves Richard, and then Lorna is jealous about the boys being all heroic. So mm-hmm. she tries to tame this weird horse kangaroo monster. She like rides it briefly, but then falls off, and then Corey makes fun of her. So Lorna draws her gun on him, and it's like a standoff. <laughs> It's like, I'm going to shoot you because I'm done with your garbage and there's only room for one liter here. I'm tired of you being cool while I'm being lame, basically. (laughs) Uh, But in the next prog, Mike Herschel steps in and the two agree to a truce. A settlement's quickly established on the new island and all seems well until random guys on guard duty start going missing, killed by human beings like there's footprints around them. And soon afterwards, the whole settlement is in flame, the fire set by an unknown person, and again, there's a little girl trapped in a burning hut. Oh no, what's to be done? Different little girl. We'll find out next time on Death Planet. Uh, man, I don't like Death Planet very much, man. I don't know. It makes me feel oogie every time I'm done reading it. Like, it's just like, it'd be cool if Lorna Varn, the, uh, the female ship captain, was, like, competent and doing cool stuff on this planet but instead right. every every opportunity is taken to make her seem helpless and incompetent so and real like, talk the guy real she talk. clashes with always seems right you know yeah yeah so conrad mm-hmm. what was the setup to death planet we were you, introduced to lorna varn and what do we know about lorna varn she's like a spaceship captain and what did they kind of detail her as when they talked about her as a spaceship, but she was captain. like a she was really good, right? As I recall, she was supposed to be like yeah. really competent and like the best captain in the fleet or something like that. That kind of stuff. Best best captain in the fleet has done this like a jillion times, really by the book, but also like you know really uh, good at giving orders. Everyone very clearly respects her. She's blah 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 blah. And this whole comic seems to be like ah, oh, this person of authority, we're gonna take you down a peg. 
which really feels like subtext, if you know what I'm saying. It does like, really feel uh, like the whole story is just there to take this character down a peg, which seems really weird. Which seems like a really weird motivation to have the character in the first place if you don't like her very much. I don't know. Well, uh, oh yeah, you could have a job like other people, but you wouldn't be able to handle it. All the men would just be doing the work for you. But that seems like, like a oh, god. It seems like a weird message to have in a comic book that's sort of built for like eight to twelve year old boys, basically. <laughs> I agree. I agree completely. And so there's this Herschel character who shows up and is now getting like more time because he's like the first guy. It, this is his first time serving, yeah. and he's serving under her. And he's kind of like this de facto leader. He slaps the gun out of her hand. He has to rescue fucking the colony guy. Like, he seems to be doing all of the background work, keeping things running, while these two mm-hmm. just get the spotlight and have their drama problems. Yeah. Which, when mom and dad are fighting, and and so this is what I actually think it's about, when mom and dad are fighting and the kid is the one who's taking care of all of the business, <laughs> that's what I think is trying to, like, come across. Like, maybe it's being more clever, but really it just seems like... And you see this in letters in the, in the next episodes that we'll cover... Mm-hmm. But, like, people just talking smack about, like, Lorna Varn, and I'm like, she hasn't done anything other than get set up as really good, and then just every single episode after that being told she's terrible. Yeah. So, I don't know. And, and, like, everything else that's going on might be interesting if it weren't for this, like, bickering. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) I don't like it. No, it's not. It's not super for sure. Like you know, I want to like it just because it's this story that's got the first like you know actual like female protagonist and stuff. They don't treat her very well in the course of this comic, I must say. Yeah. But hey, speaking of new female characters in comics, let's Hell go yeah. to Thrill Six Inferno. Oh man, I'm so excited! I'm so excited! I'm so excited! Inferno's going crazy, man. It starts with giant having a big dream about gruber already gruber insane uh cyborg guy killing uh, attacking him during a uh arrow ball match yep but then he wakes up and it turns out that i guess all the all the all the primary heroes live in the same apartment i guess but oh no he he and um uh, Zach, I think it Zach is. Zach lived together in the same, like, super flat. Yeah. But so, everybody's getting ready for this game against the Philadelphia Freaks. One guy on the fil- on the Freaks, uh, Dimples Divine, looks a lot like Gruber. <laughs> and he's promptly murdered and replaced by Gruber. This is really starting to sound very similar. It's true, although this time, uh, instead of just attacking him in his hotel room... Uh, <laughs> Dimples apparently likes to sunbathe to try to uh, tan his desiccated <sighs> robo zombie uh, skin. Yep. And he to do it, he sits in like a chair with like sort of a light thing over it with a sun lamp in it. But they've replaced the sun lamp with a laser bulb, so he's fried to ash. It's really horrifying. It's it's pretty awesome. But so now yeah. Gruber's in the game, and he's controlled by Mister Chubb and Torso. <laughs> Or Mr. Torso, I guess, yeah, whatever. So it's match time. <laughs> we learned that Gruber has both a pain circuits and a bomb implanted in his head, which, which allows... Which convenience. Yeah, it allows Chubb to control Gruber from a distance, and if things go wrong, he could just blow Gruber up completely. 
Oh, it's inside of his thumbnail, too, which, I'm sorry, this is, like, a big-time fear of mine, or, like, fingernails coming off or falling off. It just super grossed me out. Yeah, yeah, Chubb pops off his fingernail, and there's this really detailed view of all this machinery stuff, like, set inside his thumb, underneath his thumbnail. And mm-hmm. I, I agree, like, there's something very, like, I don't I want to say, like, squicky about it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, uh... It, it offends my sensibilities a little bit. Yes. <laughs> but so as the match begins, Gruber gets the ball, and he gets the order from Chubb to peg the ball as hard as he can right at Giant's face. Which, as a kid of the schoolyard, I can say that head pegs are no fair. No, they are totally mean and not something you should do. But so Gruber pegs the ball... Okay. We're still learning stuff about Inferno, so apparently if you throw the Inferno ball um, hard enough... Yeah, it gets white hot and like semi frictionless, I guess. Well, so part of like the big thing here is everyone's like, holy crap, how did he do that? Yeah, like he's kind of going overboard. But so Gruber throws the ball so hard that it becomes white hot. Yeah. Um, One of the freaks actually body checks giant out of the way of the ball because he thinks that Gruber is making a shot on goal. And so he's like removing someone defending the, uh, <laughs> the, the ball going in. Yeah, the ball ricochets around the arena and finally hits Regal Eagle. Oh, snap! Regal Eagle is dead. Uh, First hero kind of Harlem person down, but not really. He was a dick. I mean, he kind of redeemed himself last episode when he he drove his bike into that recycling uh, machine thing. Mm. But he's definitely, like, had a very quick arc and now he's gone. Yeah, like no finish to his story whatsoever. He's yeah. just dead. So who will uh, who'll take over for his dead body? Wow, 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 wow! Cindy, one of the cheerleaders, volunteers to take his place. Which I'm, I love the nomenclature and her name. I'm Cindy. Try me. Yeah, like what? She rolls out, and it's time. I feel like I'm something. Try me was a marketing slogan. Yeah. In, like, 1970s England? Because it's the same thing that's written on Walter's chest, right? Yeah. But I don't know what it's from, and I try putting, like, I'm blank, try me on Google, and I don't get very far. Hmm. I Lost get a lot of that, of that one uh, try me song, you know? Yeah. Try me, oblige. <laughs> yeah, that one. So anyhow, Cindy's in the game. And she's uh, she's looking pretty spectacular. like her hair. Like that her name is Cindy, like Cinder, like Flames, like Inferno. Oh, that's nice. I didn't catch that. <laughs> yeah, like, I I really appreciated that. Uh, and it's a callback to the cheerleaders who were on the team who tried out, who Zach was trying to, you know. Yeah, one of which was a murder robot. <laughs> I mean, look, you know, you're going to... It, apparently, in the world of Judge Dredd, uh, there's a chance that one out of every 12 cheerleaders is a murder robot. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. But so, as as Cindy gets out there and starts playing, she does pretty well, Gruber catches a white-hot ball and continues <laughs> basically to show that he's not actually Dimples, but a super-powered Artie Gruber. <laughs> After Cindy scores a cave-in, Gruber gets the order from Chubb, Kill Cindy Lamont. You better not. He, she's my new favorite character. Her All hair is right. white. Hey, she's she's definitely the. Uh, I'd say she's like in the in the top three of uh, female characters in 2000 AD right now. 
I had to. I have a picture of how awesome her hair gets because it gets really good. Yeah, like my top three are uh, Old One Eye, mm-hmm. of course, uh, Nessie from Nessie from Invasion, and now Cindy oh. Lamont. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, I mean, like uh, Old One Eye. If only so many women could be so amazing. Hey, man, we're about to meet Old One Eye's son and Judge Dredd. It's going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life. Hell yes. But speaking of things that aren't that impressive, Thrill <laughs> 7 Future Shocks. Yay. So this one's real quick. Uh, there's a dude out on the street. He gets attacked by a robot and killed, but then it turns out that actually he's the robot, and the robot is a human. Whoa. Oh, it went on the fritz. We've had this exact like plot before. <laughs> when there was that farm place. Yep. With the uh, with the guys in robot suits, and then the, yep. the farmers were robots. Yep. This is a this one, this one, and like either an invasion of really tiny aliens, or mm-hmm. like actually we're aliens, and you're a and you're or actually a like it turns out that you're that the alien is actually from Earth, and we're on a weird planet. Are the three big future shocks at this point? It- and we're we're actually just the horses that they ride now because we're stupid humans. Right. Well, one way or another, that's sort of... <laughs> it was Earth all along is basically yeah. one of the big punchlines. You know, you know, we gotta borrow heavily from Planet of the Apes. Something. <laughs> but hey, that's that's the pro- that's the uh, thrills this month, Fox. What is your that's top it? and bottom thrills? Yep, just seven. Oh my god. So, uh, let's go with... Let's talk top first. So, Do it. Um, I I want to give two special mentions before I go into my top. So, uh, special mention number one, end of Mach one. You did great, kid. You finished off strong. It was amazing. It's an amazing end to a series. This may be the first time I don't give something that's immediately ending and not completely shit. Um, not the top spot. I really loved it, and we explained why earlier. Yeah, end of Mach um, one is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, second honorable mention is Judge Dredd. It is getting really good. There was some kind of like, eh, it was kind of pockmarked, or it was uh, bookended by some really good stuff, right? That, that is getting me into this thing. I'm not quite all that bought in yet, but I'm excited. Inferno! Inferno gets top spot. I'm glad to see Artie Gruber back. I know it's kind of like this cheap way of kind of connecting the two, but at least it's when Artie Gruber's out, you're on the field. You know what I mean? Yeah when attacking is happening. So all of the big changes, all of the challenges that they've had in the past four have been actually on the court. Um, and that I like this return to form. I like where it's going. I actually have a pretty good grasp of what's going on in Inferno now. I could yeah. probably walk you through the scoring at some point if there's anything yeah, no, else there. But I, th- I, th- I, th- I think I mostly have it too. Like there's a bunch of, there's maybe one or two little things, but I feel like, yeah, yeah. at this point we've managed to sort of through osmosis pick up basically how inferno goes <laughs> and they're really not adding in like a bunch of fucking like weird like oh yeah you can totally do this it's all pretty much set in stone yeah so inferno is definite top spot i i just you know really hope these sports comics don't go away too soon uh sorry buddy <laughs> i figured uh bottom thrill or, or no actually let's go to your top thrills um top thrill? i really liked mach one as well um, like that the last part of Mach 1 is really tense and does a really good way of sort of, you know, 
earning the the you know taking this guy that's been invulnerable for so long and sort of earning him dying i guess which i think mm-hmm. is an important thing to do like it's not just like oh yeah. his power stopped and then he dies you know yeah but for me the top thrill has to be judge dread um mm-hmm. those those flying rats <laughs> everybody yes um, like just that image of the lawgiver being eaten alive by these rats the the Mount Rushmore with both, but like for me, really, just the Mount Rushmore with both Carter and the Mutant Warlord on it are so. It's so like what, the, like that's such a, a ridiculous opening shot. I love it. It just makes me laugh and makes me really like. I just love that sort of madcap ridiculousness of the future of Judge Dredd. That just makes it feel so fun to me. It really is just that whimsically amazing. Yeah, with murder. Yeah, totally. And plus, um, the flying rats thing really reminded me of this book that I've heard of, that that I read for this podcast, this other podcast that I listened to. It's like this British um, horror novel from like 1971 that's just called Rats. Whoa! And it's about a bunch of rats like conquer, like taking over London's people, fighting back against them and stuff. Whoa! All right. And in that one, there's also a king rat that is like big and evil and stuff and the main guy has to like kill it to stop the rat attacks so the judge dread felt very reminiscent of that as well that's really cool it's a crazy series all right but okay so bottom thrill uh i i think we can we can say our bottom thrill at the same time and we'll both agree with it all right Uh, yep three two one Death Planet. Death Planet, yeah. I mean, I, I gave it, like, this long tirade before. It's horrible. It's really... I wish it was way better than it is. It's not great at all. And, like, at the art's fantastic. You know, it's not like this is an ugly comic by any stretch. Yeah, it's got neat, uh, like, aliens and stuff. And, like, the uh, the way that the people are drawn is, like, they're really, like, you know, they, they, they look really good and stuff. I like but, and I like the exploration of like what it is, what settling is like there. Although um, I would assume in a world like 2000 AD or or whatever, maybe this is closer to Dandere time timeline. But like, if you're going to colonize, and I I know I talk about Star Trek a lot, like <laughs> when they colonize, like yeah, things get like a lot simpler in the clothes that you wear and shit like that. But they still have you know, computer consoles and stuff, and they, they can, like, easily make homes with their matter Yeah, I think the problem is that because their ship crashed and they're sort of off mm-hmm. course and stuff, they've lost a lot of those modern conveniences. Like, that's sort of part Got of the it. plot, is that they don't have but these settlers the automatic are stuff, you know? Yeah. I got you. Okay. But, like, the politics of it is really, is really rough, but also just, like, I don't know, like, the cliffhangers aren't that... Like, it's so cliffhangery. That is just like, yeah. like oh, here's a problem, and then first panel, oh, we solved that problem, you know? Yeah, and it and exactly, it's the I, oh, poisoned water. Don't worry, there are berries. Yeah. Uh, God, like I'm, I'm so pissed that this guy looks better or is doing better than me. Oh, don't worry, I'm, I'm, we're gonna get our hands slapped by yeah. a guy. Hold and then fine. like, and then like. The actual colonizing stuff kind of gets hand-waved away, where it's kind of like, all right, we're going to build this trench. Like, all right, they just build the trench. Like, then suddenly, like, all right, we'll build a settlement here, and suddenly they have a settlement with, like, houses and all this stuff. Right. Like, Like, show us some development. Yeah, like, it doesn't go super in-depth about what the actual, 
Like, you know, if this story is going to be about the colony, it doesn't show the, a lot of in-depth stuff about how they're doing the colony, you know? Well, and then, okay, look. Oh, please, and, go ahead. And, like, we're about to abandon all of this for a completely different story starting next month, you know? Oh, <laughs> like, great. Like, like, ah. like, for a different story within Death Planet, I mean. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just... It's not doing it... Like, like the politics are really weird. The story isn't good enough or interest like it, it it doesn't have anything super interesting to sort of bring to the table all that much like yeah. it's just sort of not a great effort i think so like the daredevil netflix tv show right or daredevil in general you okay. have this you have a character right who happens to be a superhero but he's also a lawyer right clark kent right. happens to be in fucking news you expect them to be doing some of that stuff, right? Like, you want to see him be a lawyer and balance out his lifestyle. Why is it that in a, a comic book called Death Planet, where you have these survivors, or, you know, survivalist types, and these mm -hmm. people who understand military and structure, not, like, coming together and making some of that source of plot happen, while also still having this, like bickering going on right there's a bear it ate a capsule we've got to kill it and that's <laughs> the main thing that's driving you but there's still like shit going on in the background where it's like oh fuck that guy just like left him to die tauntaun style <laughs> yeah. you know like that's awesome this sucks yeah it's not it's not a great effort you know we're almost done with it is what I want to say <laughs> we'll finish it next oh, episode no. and then after that Fox this mm. slot gets taken over by Ant Wars. Oh yeah. I'm so excited about Ant Wars. Ant Wars is like as sexist as this is, Ant Wars is equally racist, but it also oh. has giant ants. So it's oh it's good to go. Ah. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, okay. It's Great. exciting. Yeah. I'm happy. <laughs> and uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, on the pod or on our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're Space Spinner 2K. And for everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. Tune in next week as Dan Dare goes to the Garden of Eden. Mach Zero enlists the Beggar Army. We finally meet the real bad guy of Death Planet. It's a lady. Oh, and yeah. We travel deep into the cursed Earth with Judge Dredd, where we encounter the last president of the United States of America. <gasps> Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spun Doug Berthrig! Spun Doug Berthrig! Berthrig.